0: Uh, I might be a little low energy. I had this weird dream last night. And uh, it involved a 1963 Datsun pickup truck. And Datsuns, that's what Nissan's turned into. That's how old this pickup truck was. And it was a strange dream. I was part of the... Truck. I wasn't the truck itself. It was just part of it. That was that was the muffler of this 1963 Datsun truck. And I woke up exhausted. It Was a muffler. Woke up exhausted. All right. I always like to, to to test how how intelligent and how. How much people are paying attention and I think I've got a good feel for that uh, I would also like to say that it's it's really a privilege to be here and that uh, I find you people intimidating and I find you intimidating I, mean, I think I could I could uh, stand in front of a huge crowd of people and Talk about the Civil War, and I think I could talk about uh, why advanced metrics in baseball are better than traditional metrics in baseball. But you guys are intimidating because you are the body and the bride of Christ, and uh, I'm not starstruck. You know, I could run into famous people, and I, I just it just doesn't affect me. But when I see you guys, I feel like I'm in the uh, presence of royalty and so to address you is kind of a big deal and not only that I have to talk to you about things that really really matter and I can uh, talk about the Civil War and be wrong about things that I really don't care I I mean I could be passionate about it but I'd be wrong and it's eh, no big deal what I want to talk to you guys about is stuff that I really really care about and uh, it's an opportunity I know to share what, what, uh, what God and Christ has done in and for me and sometimes even through me. And it's, it's like I'm on holy ground and I want to be like Moses and uh, say, eh, not me, but I'm here, you're here, so let's, let's do this. I also think it's really cool what you guys are experiencing here, that you are the bride of Christ, the body of Christ, and we are called together, called to come together and be his people and his, his, uh, his congregation. And I hear you guys talk amongst yourselves, and I hear the, the care that you have for people who get in car wrecks and how interested you guys are in each other's jobs and uh, where you're going to go for Christmas and all things like that. That to me is is an encouragement. It's a picture of what we're supposed to be as God's people. And so I want to thank you. I've had a number of you that I was able to interview for membership. And every time I talk to you guys, man, it's like uh, it's rejuvenating. It's really cool to see the faithfulness of God carried on into your lives. And I know that someday my kids will be coming down that pipe too. And uh, it's, a, it's a cool thing, very cool thing. So I want to thank you and give you guys props for all that stuff, too. Uh, I wasn't really sure what I would be doing here tonight, and I didn't know what kind of venue. It was pretty cool. You guys, you guys enjoy this? This is the final first Friday of 2016, so this is officially the bottom of the barrel and uh, so I, 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 uh, I guess that 's why it 's my turn uh, i 'd like to just kind of share a few things that that god 's done in in my life and i 'm sort of bearing witness uh, and I want to sort of frame it around the concept of repentance i uh, got the opportunity to look at some of the lessons you guys have been studying and that, that one kind of hit me, and it gave me a new way of thinking about things that have happened in my life. I think for a long time I was a, a believer. I think for a long time I was a pretty poor believer. I grew up in a Christian church with good family, good training. I went to a the denomination that stressed good Reformed theology. And it was more about what you thought and right believing than it was about Uh, right living necessarily so while I had Baptist friends and they couldn't drink and smoke Uh, after our services all the elders would stand outside and smoke it was a different thing and my Baptist friends used to always say you can always tell the Presbyterians because where two or three are gathered there's always a fifth (laughs) and uh, so our uh, our, our code of conduct was much different than, than theirs Uh, And I think what was ingrained in me was the idea that since all I had to do was believe right, that was sort of like knowing the rules that I could get around all that practical living stuff. And so I lived my life in a pretty ineffective way from a Christian standpoint and just a pretty incompetent way from anybody's viewpoint. And I ended up uh, kind of sad. By nature, I'm a... uh, well, it's the op- opposite of a extrovert, an introvert, pretty simple. And I could, I could go a whole weekend without talking to someone, and that was a good weekend. And none of that really bothered me. But on the other hand, I just felt flat and sad. And I was working in a job that wasn't challenging, uh, but it wasn't boring, overly boring. It was just there. And I worked with people that I didn't have anything in common with. And that didn't really bother me, I didn't dislike them, and I don't think they disliked me, but there was no real connection there. And I had moved away from my family and I still saw them on holidays and talked to them occasionally, but there was no deep connection there. And uh, I really kind of walled myself off. I, I didn't really mind it that much, but I was bored and sad. And I would go every night after work and stop by and get a pack of beer, excuse me, and a pack of cigarettes and go home watch TV or read and play music, sit in my apartment. And uh, that's what I did. And it wasn't that bad. But it was sad. <laughs> and it was boring. And it was yeah. Uh, like I said I'd always been going to or I'd always been a believer even though there were times I wanted to stop being a believer I just couldn't and through all that I started to feel like maybe I should try to reconnect and so I determined I would go to the nearest church to me and I was living downtown and it was Harbor and uh, meeting in the movie theater and I went there several times and I was doing my normal last one in, first one out don't talk to anybody. Punch my ticket. I went to church this morning, and uh, but I sat through a few sermons, and they kept preaching the gospel over and over and over, and it was uh, pretty consistent. And I, in fact, I remember one time that we were having a meeting of some people standing up and talking about what they liked about Harvard. It was the early days, and Chad stood up, and I remember him saying. Uh, I always thought it was strange when I first started coming here because every single week was the same sermon, and he says, and well, it took me several other weeks to figure out they were doing that on purpose <laughs> <laughs> and it was it was every week it was we 're not enough, God, you know, we, we have to turn to Christ, and uh, one particular week I remember it was they 'd sent out flyers to the neighborhood, so it was going to be you know bring in try to get more people in. It was your typical seeker Sunday. and the sermon was on your, your best works are like trophy rags. And I thought that's a different kind of sermon on a week where you just invited all these people in and you want them to feel good about the church and come back next week. Instead, they heard straight truth uh, presented lovingly and as non-confrontationally as you can make that message. But I started, uh, started to finally sink in. And I'd been going to church off and on all along. I know I'd heard these messages before, but for some reason at this point in time it clicked. And uh, I remember going home and doing a very un-Presbyterian thing. I got down on my knees and I prayed and I told God, I, I've, I've screwed up my life. I don't like what I'm doing right now. Uh and and I give up I remember saying you can do whatever you want to with me I'm tired of trying to define success I'd been you know trying to find good relationships to be in with uh, with 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 eligible young ladies I'd gone down some pretty (laughs) pretty uh, poor paths that way i had been trying all along and I realized that that as I was living my life I was sort of making deals with God in my head you know if if I behave myself for a week Please let me meet the person I'm supposed to meet. But I, I just finally gave up that, that day. I decided i, I give up. Uh, I, I don't need any relationship. I don't care. You can tell me to wear a skinny tie and stand on the street corner and yell at people and they go by that they're going to hell. You can do whatever you want to. I, I, I give up. And the next morning, I woke up, and I was joyful. I was tingling. It was stupid how <laughs> how joyful I was. I was I was shaking, and uh, that's a very strange thing for me to experience. And I remember thinking, okay, this will pass maybe it was something I ate, uh, and, but it didn't. And I went a few days went by, and I'm just I'm just joyful. I'm just all that sadness and boredom. I'm just happy. So I thought oh, that was pretty cool, and. Uh, about that time I started looking at my life <laughs> and I realized that when I drove home from work every day I'd stop at the liquor store and get a six pack of beer, <laughs> pack of cigarettes and go home and watch movies and, but I wasn't sad and bored, I was joyful and I thought that was pretty strange and I stayed joyful for like a week, week and a half it was weird so I remember one night uh, going out late night walk I was living in an apartment above Horton Plaza and I used to go for long walks at night and I was out walking and I was praying and I I was starting to get a little upset God why don't you change me why am I still doing the same stuff I've been doing forever why don't you change me and uh, I'm not the kind of person who hears voices But all of a sudden I had this realization that God loved me no matter what I did. And that's kind of a scary thought because I felt like I could stay happy and sit in my apartment and smoke my cigarettes and drink my beer. That's my favorite part of the story. Uh, And that I could just continue like that. All right, go back to the idea of what we're talking about, the redemption. Uh, this was sort of my big redemption moment, right? All of a sudden I realized, or not, not redemption, I'm sorry, repentance. This is my big repentance moment because I had been going in one direction. I had been driving my life in one direction. I ended up in the ditch, and now I had repented of that, but it also required starting to start move the other direction. And I felt like uh, I didn't have to move in the other direction, but I sure wanted to. So uh, I felt like God says, you want to you stop living the way you are? You want to stop smoking cigarettes night and drinking and living off on your own little little cocoon? Then stop. Do it. You don't have to. right? So now I became eager to try to clean up my own life. With his help, of course. But now, instead of thinking, oh, doggone it, I've got to go talk to somebody, or I've got to engage with someone, or go out of my comfort zone, instead, now I wanted to. And uh, it wasn't a matter of guilt. And I think, for me, what that says is that uh, repentance sort of doesn't just change everything, it kind of obliterates everything. Everything I had thought about, all all the ways I used to judge all my behaviors, and think in a causal way. If I do this and this, and I know the rules, so if I pull this string, God's got to do this. And All of that got just blown away. Now I didn't have to do anything. It was all a gift. Uh, I could could now start living my life the way I wanted to, uh, not in order to earn something because I already had it. Now it's just to make things better. I thought about it like a guy who had just been... Uh, saved from the oceans, out there ship went down. He's drowning, and and God somehow drags him out onto the beach. And now he's laying there. He can just lay there, or he can go and go into the jungle and you know do Robinson Crusoe things and find coconuts and eat and make a grass skirt and I don't know make make friends with the volleyball. But there's a whole bunch of stuff that can be done or, or you can just stay there. And I think for too long I, I stayed in one spot. So it was kind of interesting. I started doing things that were outside my comfort zone, but all of a sudden I wanted to do them. And uh, uh, one of the things was I started going and feeding the homeless. And that was a really strange experience because it was overstaffed. I mean, some days you walk in there, you'd have a big table lined up, and you'd have homeless guys come along the table and many nights, my job was to take the plate from the guy here and hand it to the guy over there. I hope you're all right. <laughs> and, uh, and it was just that, right? I wasn't doing it. but I'd walk, walk home from that just elated. I got to do this much in, in, in God's, God's kingdom, just this much. And it was it was ridiculous how happy that made me. Uh, and I started I was like I say I was very introverted. By then I was socially uh, malformed. I was telling Chad tonight how at a certain point I realized you know instead of being the first in and first out of church every week I started hanging around afterwards waiting for people to talk to me. And then I decided I should probably go to a uh, community group, a life group. So I knew of one downtown. And I'd be, I didn't, I couldn't picture myself. I couldn't get myself just to walk into a room and say, "I want to be part of this group." To me, that was like, I just couldn't. So I would go, I'd, I'd walk out a couple times. I walk all the way out there, and I walk around the building three or four times. I just couldn't bring myself to do it, and I'd walk back home. Uh, stupid, dumb. But I was also underlying through all this stuff. Even though I was doing that, I was still joyful. (laughs) I wasn't I wasn't beating I was failing, but I wasn't wasn't beating myself up about it. And it was more like, come on God, kick me in the in the rear end. Uh when I finally figured out what I would do is I'd walk I'd figure out one of the other people showing up and I'd walk in front of the building so they'd see me and say, Oh you go to Harvard, right? Why don't you come on in? And I'd go, "Ah, sure I got nothing else to do. and that's how I started going to manger. So uh, so while well, well, on the one hand repentance blows up everything my whole uh, all my cause and effect things and the way I judged and all that was gone but it still gave back everything else all of a sudden I started thinking that moving a plate from here to here was important and I think that going meeting with other god with, with with other people in god's family was important and uh it it, all of a sudden it was just ridiculous my life flowered and i found myself doing a lot of things that i didn't want to do i I said that one of the things i had told god was i give up my relationships i'm going to be you know on my own from here on out that's fine i don't care anymore and i didn't care anymore and that was so deeply ingrained in me that the woman who was now my wife, I think we were going out six months before I realized we were going out. And then I only realized we were going out because she had to take a two-by-four and hit me over the head figuratively. She didn't actually do that. Uh, but, and I don't want to bring that up as, as if to say, well, if, if there's something you really want, pretend you don't want it and God will give it to you because my feeling on that is I could have stayed single for the rest of my life I'd still be happy uh, there are times when I think I might be happier now if I was single but, but, uh, but, but the joy and, and the understanding all right, and, and for me the repentance is going away from trying to do things my way to trying to do things at least the sort of way God wants me to and the difference is, is night and day uh, so that was my capital R repentance uh, and I often go back there in my head because it's good to see the change. You know, without, like I say, within a short period of time, uh, within two or three years, I was married. I had a kid on the way. The, the the lot across the street of where we fed the homeless, they were putting up condos, and I had money down on the condo for for my wife and I to move into. And it was it was just ridiculous. Uh, I got along better with my family. Uh, so things changed in a hurry. But that's not to say that uh, it was all rainbows and unicorns from that point on. And my life is still tied up with a whole lot of small r repentances that, that keep going, right? Uh, speaking of all these r's, you guys do know what Pirate's favorite letter is, right? Does anybody know? You'd think it was R, but his first love is the sea.
1: Oh.
0: So I was just in Arizona over
1: <laughs> over
0: Thanksgiving, and I got like a six-year-old nephew that told me told me that way.
1: <laughs> uh,
0: So it, it's not over by any. I mean, I, it's, it's it's like it works still. I, I'll be sitting there, and I still don't feel a real strong connection with my co-workers and there are times when I'm sitting there and they are annoying me and uh, I hear them talk and it annoys me and I feel myself getting annoyed and I feel myself judging them how trivial to, to, people oh, they think so-and-so was in that movie oh. and as I'm doing that I'm all of a sudden going like, what an idiot I am. I'm here to serve these people. I'm here to love these people. Uh, They can't be any stupider than I am. And so I sit there and it's it's like this weird burning cauldron that's going on. On one hand, I keep hearing my one voice say, these guys are ridiculous. And I hear another voice saying, you, you, you are the ridiculous one. They fight side. And it gets kind of ugly for a while. But... It's, it's an ongoing repentance. I'm feeling the, the, uh, the, the conviction of sin. And I'm praying that someday I'll be released from that. But in the meantime, I'm sitting there struggling with it. But even then, thanks to the big R repentance, I'm still joyful. I still know that God's sitting up there saying, Yeah, you're kind of an idiot. And we're going to try to push you through this. And it's not right what I'm doing. And he's almost waiting for me to want to change enough to make that happen. And it's an ongoing struggle, but I don't, well, I'm beating myself up somewhat about it. I'm not beating myself up like I used to in the old days when I just say you're a failure. All right. So that's one of the little R's. Another little R, uh, I think repentance sometimes is going to affect not just specific behaviors or sins, uh, our first child, about, about a year after we got married, my wife, Jackie, gets pregnant, and we start going for all the tests. And since we're, neither one of us is that bright and it took us that long to find someone that would sit still to marry the other, she was going through extra special tests because she was mid-30s towards the end of the spectrum. And some of the tests came back with funny numbers. And they started saying, "Well, maybe, you know, there's a 1 in 435 chance that your child has Down syndrome. And then it got down to like 1 in 185. They do another test. It got down to 1 in 50. And she's nervous. And I'm trying to pretend that I'm not nervous. And, uh... I remember taking out a deck of cards, 1 in 50 chance, there's 52 cards here. Name a card, pull it out, You know how often is that going to happen, don't worry about it. Well, she went and got her final test and they called up and she took the phone call and I could tell that it wasn't the news that she was hoping to see. She just started saying, okay, I gotta go, I gotta go, okay, I gotta go. And there were tears in her eyes and she hung up the phone and started sobbing. And I, like the superhero I am now, uh, tried maybe briefly to comfort her, but I remember all of a sudden... This is is a sad story, guys. I remember laying in a fetal position in the middle of our living room while my wife was laying in the fetal position in the kitchen. And I just felt like I was in the bottom of a deep, dark hole. Very deep, dark hole. When I read... Uh, some of the Old Testament passages about the pit that's what I think of now and I'm not proud of that I know other people have had this diagnosis and this experience and said hey with God's help we can do anything and I wish I was that person but I'm just telling you what happened Uh, and I remember laying there and crying out to God uh, restored to me the joy of my salvation because for the first time since right, my big R, repentance I was not, I was not joyful and it was deep dark place and uh, I think what I, uh, through all that uh, I, I sensed God's presence he did restore the joy to my salvation I was able to at some point become actually a helper to my poor wife again uh, and uh, you know, I wouldn't trade my daughter for a uh, six pack of beer and a pack of cigarettes. <laughs> I always said beers, a minute, <laughs> uh, or anything, she's she's amazing and tremendous. Uh, but when I tie that to repentance, it was all of a sudden the realization that I can't do even stuff I know I should be able to do on my own, right? I know other dads of kids with down syndrome who didn't have a moment of absolute panic and depression uh, I couldn't do that and now when I look back on it it's silly uh, I remember after our daughter was born by then we were happy to see her and she's a great kid and we volunteered to for the genetics people another parent another couple going to have a child they got the diagnosis that we'd like to talk to them and we had that opportunity once to sort of walk these people through it. But now I'm not sure I'd want to because I think I'd be impatient with them. I think, hey, you dummies, obviously the kid's great, everything's fine. And that again shows you know, a, uh, a, a lack of understanding in, in me. It's something I have to work on. But sometimes repentance isn't because of a specific sin we did All of sudden, I think at heart maybe this is what true repentance ends up being is the understanding is that we're not enough in and of ourselves we don't have the, we don't have the assets to get through life we don't have the ability to get through life there are times when it, we think we do especially yeah. at your guys' age I thought I could do anything when I was that old. Uh, but ultimately you're going to find out that there's a, there's a moment in time when you all of a sudden the truth is revealed. You need God. And the good news is God's a loving Savior and comes and rides to the rescue. Uh, I had another story in there. It reminds me of a bit. No, it doesn't remind me of that bit. I'm not going to do that. The, uh, so... I guess the upshot is true repentance if you do it the first time right you end up joyful even when you're struggling the struggles don't go away and, uh, but now instead of beating yourself up you should realize that God loves you that you are the bride of Christ you are amazing people what he has done to, to, to uh, buy you for himself <sighs> nothing can take that away so if you're struggling don't beat yourself up about it know that he's got plans for you ahead and go for it now I'm going to give you one last little have I gone on too short too long uh, one last little you know, I tried to, people are supposed to give you techniques or something and I was thinking through this I thought about the Kuber-Ross five stages of grief and I'm going to do something fairly rude because she's talking about the things you experience when you go through grief but if you try to put that on onto repentance it 's absolutely wrong, and so what 's the first stage of cooper 's Ross five stages of grief do you know denial and I think true repentance when you 're going to repent, you recognize that you 've fallen short that you don 't have the assets that you 've done that you 've been driving your own life in the, and, and instead of denial it 's recognition right uh, what 's the second stage? anger is that right anger is right but I think instead of being angry you might be angry at yourself but there's also sort of a uh, what do I call it you're grieving right you all of a sudden you're saying oh my goodness look what I've done to myself or look what has happened to me and it's uh, for me it's always been much more just, this is a sense of grieving than it has been anything else third stage Bargaining. Right? But I think that when a Christian repents, he doesn't bargain with God. He just acknowledges his emptiness. Right? So no bargaining is even possible at that point. Fourth stage. That was a hint. Who is the blue character in Inside Out? The press, right? that what was it Sadness. sad all right depression <laughs> I only watched it 18 times I've got two small kids <laughs> uh, but instead of depression we have we have hope that that uh, once we realize that we have nothing we do realize that we have a God who has everything that we need and the last stage of Ross Ross's acceptance which in that stage I accept this horrible thing has happened to me but I think for true repentance, the believer says, uh, "What's done is done, and I am now empowered to go forward." So it's not just accepting what's happened; it's sort of a forward motive force. So think of uh, repentance as anti-Cuber Ross. Even though she wasn't saying you should go through these things, it was more of a descriptive. So I've sort of done done Ross a disservice. All right. <laughs> that's that's pretty much it, I think. Have I forgotten anything?
1: Yeah, thanks for sharing. Somewhere along the line, um I became an elder of the church. And uh I don't know, I, I'm really glad to have men uh, like Jim uh pastoring and eldering our church.
0: Um Folks like this that have gone through these kind of um, uh, experiences and just have such a uh, a value for the gospel and a love for Jesus um, it's funny like I mean I'm like a, I'm 42
1: and you can, you know, most of y'all are much younger and I'm wondering
0: a lot of his story like resonated with me like as an older man I'm like god like there's so many regrets and there's so many um, mistakes that I've made like I piled them up. Uh, over the years, and I think a lot of you guys like don't have the yet. You, have, you haven't had the time
1: yet to like really screw things up. So, yeah. And so I, I really, uh, I'm delighted
0: that we recorded this actually, because maybe in like 10 years, you guys will come back and be like, "Oh my god." <laughs> really right. um, but man, thanks for just being so transparent. Uh, I love, I'd, I'd love it if anybody has any questions for like uh, for Jim. Uh, to ask him and, and the CBS any more insight for us, like, like what kind of data is it? How are you processing
1: it, you know, stuff. So, but, um,
0: so, does anybody have any questions for, for Jaime? That was perfectly clear. Yeah, it was. If there's no questions, it's obviously. I could tell you the funniest story I've heard in the last six months. <laughs> want to hear it? This is yeah. a true story. It was told to me by, by a friend of mine. And back when he was in high school, he's going on the first date with a woman he ends up marrying. And he's driving off to the restaurant, she's sitting next to him. And for some reason, he gets pulled over by a cop. He pulls over to the side of the road, the cop comes over, goes on the window, the cop says, Have you been drinking? And he says, No, sir. And he looks over at his first date and says, Ma'am, is that true? And she says, I don't like to argue with him when he's drunk. (laughs) (laughs) So at that moment, he knew he was going to marry. He's good. (laughs) All right. Thanks a lot. If you have any questions, you can.